0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Chariots of Fire Part 2, The Toughest Test Yet, 2 Kings 2, verses 6 to 8. Now we're almost done with the life of Elijah. We're going to finish up next week. Really, I promise, next week it's going to be it. It's going to be a historic week. Don't miss it. But if you missed last week, make sure you listen to the podcast or get the CD because I showed the Chariots of Fire video clip, which is on our podcast site. And I want you to go back and watch that if you can, and also go back and listen because this is really part two. This part will will make much more sense if you listen to part one. Now we're finishing up Elijah, and after Christmas we'll move on to the life of Elisha which will really apply to our lives. Now remember, Elijah, just like Joshua, was a type of Jesus Christ. But Elisha is a type of the apostles and all disciples of Jesus Christ, which is what we are. So it's really going to apply to our life as disciples of Jesus Christ. The life of Elijah, what a ride it's been. And today the ride is scary for Elijah and Elisha and us, by extension. Speaking of scary rides, life... The ride of life and the spiritual journey we're on often feels like a scary ride, doesn't it? One of the scariest rides I remember and one of my favorites at one time was the Devil's Hole. And have you ever do the Devil's Hole? The Devil's Hole is when you would uh, stand, you would go down down into this round ride and you would stand on the floor and you'd lean against the wall and it would start to spin very quickly. And as it would start to spin faster and faster, the floor would drop away. But you wouldn't fall because you were stuck against the wall. The centrifugal force kept you stuck against the wall. And I loved that ride. And I remember one time I was waiting in line. uh, And I was waiting in line, looking down. We were all looking down into the devil's hole. And it was spinning, spinning. And the floor drops away. And all of a sudden, somebody got sick and threw up. And when they threw up... As they threw up, it, it it went out about you know six inches to a foot, and it couldn't go any further because of the centrifugal force, and then it literally just kind of spread around in a circle and then shot back against the wall, <laughs> against everybody, and they were all stuck, and this was stuck on them, the the expect. What They expectorated and it it went, around, it went all the way around and got all over everybody and they were stuck and they were screaming and screaming, not because of the ride, they were screaming because of what was all over them. And maybe you feel like that today. Just get me out of here. I know a lot of us feel that way, don't we? Just get me out of here. I'm sure Elijah and Elisha felt like that many times, but we're going to see how they passed the test today. Will we pass the test? Let's pray. Father, we just pray that everyone here, everyone who's listening to this today, wherever they are, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and encourage us and help us to persevere and to pass the test that you're calling us to take. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's. we're going to read 2 Kings 12, 1 and 2. Now remember, this is part 2, and we're going to finish it next week. We're just going to end up with verses 6 to 8. But let me just read the passage because what really all flows and makes sense. When the Lord, 2 Kings 2, verse 1, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elisha said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more, then he took hold of his clothes and tore them apart." Now, once again, I'm going to focus on verses 6 to 8. Now, we saw last week that Elijah is testing Elisha. Will he follow him till the end? Just like Jesus Christ and the disciples. Will they keep following him till the end? Just like us, will we follow Jesus to the end? Now, we saw that Elisha passed the first test. He followed Elijah to Bethel, which means House of God. Remember, that's where Jacob's ladder was. It was a special place of communion. It was also a picture of salvation, a picture of, of, of when we are saved when we reach this special place of communion. Then he passed the second test because then he followed Elijah to Jericho which was a discouraging place. So it had to be hard to leave Bethel to go to to Jericho because it was a discouraging place. And yet, it was a valley of discouragement, yet that's where Elijah led Elisha. And oftentimes, that's where Jesus leads us to a place that doesn't make any sense, a discouraging place, but we must follow him. And now we come to the test number three, 2 Kings 2, verse 6. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. We see that this this test is following Elijah to the Jordan, which is the biggest test of all. Because the Jordan is a picture of death. It's a spiritual picture that Elisha is committing to follow Elijah to the death. He didn't know it was going to open up. He didn't know the Jordan was going to open up. He just committed to following him, which was a, once again a spiritual picture of following to the death this is what the apostles were called to do at the cross follow Jesus to the cross but they backed down they all ran away they all ran for their lives at the cross they didn't understand that not only that Jesus would not only die but he would resurrect from the dead and make a way for us just like Elijah didn't know that the Jordan would open the apostles didn't know that Jesus was right would rise from the dead why because they were thick-headed. He had told them many times that he was going to rise from the dead. But they didn't get it. But before we point fingers, let's remember how thick-headed we are. And let's honestly consider what we would do in the in the shoes of the apostles. Would we be willing to follow Jesus Christ to the death? A good indication of what we would do is what we do do. Do we take a stand for Jesus Christ now? In our life now? In our schools and colleges and with our friends and at work in our neighborhood. with Wherever we are, are we salt and light? Or do we go along with the crowd? Do we go along with the flow? If we're not willing to really live for Jesus Christ, we're probably not willing to die for Him if and when that time comes. The apostles chickened out at the cross. But, good news, after the resurrection they were transformed. In fact, out of the 11 that were left, obviously Judas committed suicide, but out of the 11 that were left, 10 were martyred. Horrible, martyred deaths. Uh, The 11th, the Apostle John was also, they tried to kill him, remember? The emperor boiled him in oil, but he didn't die. He was cooked, but he didn't die because his job wasn't done yet. He still had a job to do, which was to write the book of Revelation. Still had to write the book of Revelation. So, he's... It, but the, the thing, it, they these same guys who ran were not willing to die painful deaths. And they were willing to do that. That's one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection. Is that the change in them, that they ran for their lives and yet now they were willing to die for Jesus Christ. The proof of the resurrection. And speaking of the resurrection, let's see what happens next. Let's see what happens next. 2 Kings 2, 7-8. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So we see that the, the, uh, the, what we see here is a miraculous crossing of the Jordan. We saw the first time that it happened was in the book of Joshua, remember that? We just came out of that about a year ago. And and we saw Joshua had the first crossing of the Jordan River. The second miraculous crossing is here with Elijah. Now, Jordan literally means spreading judgment. And it's a picture of death, as I already mentioned. It's a picture of death. Joshua, when he's, when he made a way through the Jordan, Joshua is a type of Jesus. It's the same exact word. Joshua is just the Hebrew form of Jesus. It means God saves. It's the same exact name and he's a picture, a spiritual picture of Jesus. And the Israelites followed Joshua through the Jordan River by a step of faith. Remember, their toes, the toes touched the Jordan and it opened up. And that is a picture of salvation by faith. Elijah is also a type of Jesus. Just like Joshua, Elijah is a type of Jesus. And Elisha is a type of the apostles, the disciples, and each one of us. And we also must follow our Joshua, our Elijah, Jesus Christ, by putting our faith in his death and resurrection, which is the Jordan River crossing and parting and leading through is a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now let's connect some dots. This is wild stuff. Joshua and Elijah Crossing the Jordan is a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Joshua and Elijah crossed the Jordan in the same exact place. Connect the dots. Joshua coming into the land went across the Jordan and he ended up right at Gilgal and then Jericho. But here we have Elijah going backward. He's retracing the steps of Joshua and he goes from Gilgal to Jericho to crossing the Jordan. It's the same spot. And the Israelites and Elisha following through the river, through the Jordan River, is a picture of salvation by faith. Once again, by faith we follow. When Joshua went through, after he crossed through, he had them take 12 huge stones, not little stones, huge boulders, and he had them set them up as a memorial to represent the 12 tribes of God's people that he had saved we next find these stones referred to in Matthew chapter 3. And I know we've talked about this back in the book of Joshua, but some of you weren't here for that. In Matthew chapter 3, starting with verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Then we go down to verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Then we go down to verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Out of these stones, John the Baptist isn't just referring to any old stones. He's referring to the 12 huge boulder stones that were set up when Joshua crossed over. It's the same spot that Elijah went back over through again. And this is right exact same spot. There's no accident why John the Baptist picked this same exact spot to do his baptisms. There's a reason. And look what happens next in this same exact spot. Matthew 3 verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now, It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness Then John consented. To fulfill all righteousness. The same exact spot that Joshua and Elijah cross is the same spot that John the Baptist is baptizing. It's where Jesus is baptized. Not because he needed to be forgiven for sin. But he was baptized to fulfill the prophetic type. Because it's a picture just as Joshua and Elijah went into that river and through that river. That was a picture of Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's why Jesus is baptized in this same exact spot. It's a prophetic picture of his own death and resurrection, and it also is to fulfill God's righteousness. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection did. We see here in Matthew 3, 3, to fulfill righteousness, to fulfill God's righteousness. That's what Jesus' death and resurrection did. It fulfilled it. Romans 3 explains it in detail. In Romans 3, starting with verse 21, it says, But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which long the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Jesus Christ has made a way through the Jordan. He has made a way through judgment and death, by His death on the cross, and by His resurrection from the dead. We can now have a new life, now and forever, by putting our faith in Him, by following Him through that river, by putting our faith in Him. And when we do that, when we die to our old self and receive our new life of righteousness uh, through Jesus Christ, We are now righteous in God's sight. We now have God's righteousness. There's nothing we can do. Nothing we can earn. No good deed can do it. We can only receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. In our baptism, when we are baptized, that's why I hope you've been baptized. If you haven't, see me, we'll plan it. We're going to wait until the river warms up again. But see me, because our baptism is a witness to this, why we are commanded and why it's so important. It doesn't save us, our faith saves us, but our baptism shows that we are identifying with Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection. And this is what we remember in communion, which we're celebrating today. This is our Christmas communion. Why? Jesus was born on Christmas. He wasn't born just to be born in the stables so we could open presents. No, no, no. He was born so that he could die for us, so that he could resurrect from the dead for us, so that we could receive a present, so that we could receive a new, the gift of a new life through faith. And communion is a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us, something so incredible, something so amazing. He died for us, and he came back from the dead for us. It's a historical fact. It's proven by history over and over. It's proven by God's word, which was written by the apostles, and backed up by their radically changed lives and their martyr deaths. These same guys who ran away before the crucifixion, after the resurrection, they lived these radically changed lives. They died for Jesus Christ. They before that they wrote. The New Testament. And nobody dies for a lie. I don't care how, how much you want to pull off some a scam. Nobody dies for a lie. And these men died horrible, painful deaths because they knew it wasn't a lie. They saw Jesus. The resurrection Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And it was also proven by the incredible... The the the, the, the Bible and the, the death and resurrection of Jesus is also proven by the incredible prophecies. Incredible hundreds and hundreds of prophecies of Jesus Christ. Life and death and resurrection. If you haven't been part of Joe's class... You'll see him, go meet with him. I know he'd love to meet with you and, and go through these hundreds of, of prophecies. And also, not just the prophecies, but by these prophetic pictures. These types that we have seen all throughout the Old Testament. Joshua and Elijah. It's unbelievable. And these, these are given to us as Christians to strengthen our faith. To give us assurance when we see the the story of Elijah and we see the types of Jesus Christ and the prophetic picture, that strengthens our faith. Hey, this is, God has showed this as clear as he could. And and it's just so clear to us. To to make it clear. And also, it's also to lead us to Jesus Christ. If you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, this is to draw you to Christ. To show you that God, this is true. The proof that it's true in fact there but it, it, it amazes me how many people don't believe the gospel because it's true historically and God's word and the prophecies and and just the, the the lives of the apostles it's crazy and these prophetic pictures that we're looking at you there is so much proof of the gospel that if you don't want to if you don't believe it is because you willfully choose not to believe it you have to willfully choose to reject the truth. There's that much proof. You have to just not want to follow Jesus. And not want to believe it. Because the proof is there. Which is what is exactly what many have done. They've chosen not to believe it. In fact in Matthew 13 verse 15. Jesus talking about this very thing. In Matthew 13 verse 15. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. But it applies to anybody who rejects Jesus Christ. He said here. Thirteen, fifteen, Matthew. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and I would heal them. Look what happened. It was a willful closing, a willful closing of the eyes. That's what it was. That's what it was. And, What will you do with Jesus Christ? Will you willfully close your eyes? Will you reject Jesus? Or will you accept Him? What will you do? John 3.36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Will you reject Jesus? Or will you receive Jesus Christ? What will you do? Communion is a reminder. Communion is a reminder that Jesus Christ died for us, that he gave his body and blood to pay for our sin. To pay for our sin. Luke 22, verse 14 says this. In Luke 22, verse 14, it talks about this very thing. Jesus talking, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not Communion is a reminder that Jesus died for us. He gave his body and blood to pay for our sins. And that if we put our faith in him, our old self dies and we are given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. We have gone through that river. We have given a brand new life in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. The new has come. Have you experienced that? We can have this new life by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That's what John 3.16 is talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? And after salvation, after salvation, communion is vital as a reminder to us to stay pure and close to Jesus. It's a reminder to keep our lives pure, to keep the, the the sin out of the way that would hurt our fellowship with Jesus. It's a constant reminder of that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, starting with verse 23, the Apostle Paul talks about this very thing. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, until he comes. We do this in remembrance. That's why we do it, to remember. Therefore, verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. We have been given the command and the power to live holy lives through Jesus Christ. And it's very important. That's what communion is also about. Rededicating ourselves to holiness. If there's a sinner in our life, dealing with it, cutting it out. Remember when they crossed the Jordan? The Israelites, the very first thing they did when they got to Gilgal is they, they the Israelites had to do circumcision. They were uncircumcised. They should have been circumcised. They are uncircumcised. That's a picture of sin and and holiness, cutting away the flesh. And that's very important. Holiness hurts. It was painful. Holiness hurts, but it's very important. That's an important part of our spiritual walk before we can move forward, before we can have times of of our full blessing and, and, and claim all of our promises. We have to cut out sin and the flesh in our life. Very, very important. Communion. What it is, remembering the body and blood of Jesus Christ. How do we take it? We just come up when you're ready, just come up and take it, take it back to your seat and take it. But there's two reasons why we should not take communion. The first is if we're not a Christian yet, we've never put our faith in Jesus Christ. We've never surrendered our life to Him. If we're not ready to do that yet, then don't take the Lord's Supper because you cannot recognize the body of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ, until you are a child of Jesus Christ. The second reason is if there's a sin in our life that we won't repent of. Now notice I didn't say a sinner in life because we would not even have to bother filling up the communion cups and uh, b- b- putting the bread up here. No one could take it because we all have sin in our life. But if there's a sin in life that we're not willing to surrender, that we're not willing to go to the throne of grace for mercy and grace to, to fight it. If there's something we say, God, you can't have that, then we should not take the Lord's supper because we would come under judgment. It's very important to wait till we're ready. But I hope that there is a sin in your life today. That today is a day that the Holy Spirit's conviction finally breaks through the lie and you say, God, open your hand and say, God, I surrender it. I'm going to fight this by your mercy and grace. I'm going to talk to someone if I need to. If it's too strong, I'm going to talk to I'm going to do whatever it takes to deal with this in my life. I hope that that every one of us here takes communion because we can, but it's up to you. Just like it's up to us to have communion with God every day. It's up to us when we take the time and will we remove anything in our life that gets in the way of that communion. Every day it's up to us. Let's pray. While we go to this time of prayer, I want to start with asking the question, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Can you commune with God as your Father yet? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe today for the first time it really makes sense that the Holy Spirit is drawing you to to follow Jesus by faith through that river. You can do that right this moment. Wherever you are at this very second, you can pray the prayer of faith. There's no religious rituals. There's no religious rites. You don't need me. You don't need anybody. It's between you and God, a prayer from you to God. The simple prayer of faith. God, I want to follow Jesus through that river. Through the judgment, through the death, I want to follow Jesus. I I walk away from the sin, the garbage in my life. I walk away from that wilderness. I follow Jesus. I put my faith in Him. In His death for me, for my sin. Paying for my sin. In His resurrection, showing that He is the Son of God, showing that He can give me a brand new life, the power of the resurrection, I can have that same power. I put my faith in Jesus. I surrender my life. I give my life to You, God. If you have prayed that prayer of faith then something amazing has happened. You have received a brand new life in Jesus Christ and it goes from now till forever in heaven someday with God. And you can can come to Him anytime now and talk to God as your Father. You can commune with Him anytime through Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, how is God speaking to us? Maybe we've already put our faith in Christ, but maybe there's something, we realize there's something that needs to be cut out. There needs to be a circumcision of our heart. We have to stop, whoa, we got through the river, we're saved, but we've got to stop and, and stop at and Gilgal and, and cut out flesh or cut out sin. Something that's holding us back from full communion, from really being close to God as our Father for moving forward into the promised land and knocking down the walls and and, and seeing the spiritual victory and, and claiming our full blessing. As we go to this time of communion, will you will you surrender that, those things that God is convicting us of?